Welcome to Upper 90, a podcast presented by Sand and Surf Soccer Club. Liam Messi on the dribble. He beats the halfback, beats the sideback. Stopper initiates the contact. Ooh, radial bone breaker. Alright guys, heading into week 7 of the Upper 90 podcast, presented by Sam and Soto Soccer Club. This is your host again, Dan McCarthy, this time with a sore throat, accompanied by Carl Dixon and Sam Fairhurst. As you can tell, got a bit of a grisly voice today, so you won't be hearing too much from myself. Carl and Sam will take the lead on this one, but this week we're going to go ahead and talk about how, you know, Full League is now approaching the halfway point, just past it. And the attention is already turning to next year's curriculum, tryouts, how that proceeds, how that works. So let's kick it off with Carl. What do you think, buddy? Get into it. I think we first got to talk about something else. <laughs> Throw out a congrats. What's that for then? To Sam Fairhurst. He, he had a big, he had a big, he had a big win at the weekend, uh, and it was off the field. Do you, Sam, do you want to enlighten the? The listeners, just quickly, not a nine-minute story. Uh, the, the, the listeners don't want to hear about my personal life. Come on, come on, don't build it up now. Hey, congrats, a nice trip is yeah, in yeah, order. You know, looking forward to the, the cold weather of Mammoth. So what's, like, what's that about, Sam? <laughs> can't, can't afford to eat between now and then, but... <laughs> so, so, so what exactly happened? Oh, it was just a charity event, and you know me, you know, I like to... I'm a giver, you know. So uh, a little bit of an auction going on. I had a, I had a friend with me. Basically, uh, she's quite good at spending my money, let's just say that. And we're going to Mammoth. <laughs> Congrats. Uh, we might as well give... On the, on the topic of that, actually, we, uh, we bumped into a few people at the, at the event who actually listened to the podcast. And I did tell one of our biggest fans I would give him a shout-out. So uh, this one's for Steve Kendall. Big shout-out for Big Steve. Dave Kendall's dad, correct? Yeah, yeah. Might as well plug the event real quick. Saturday night former coach and popular guy around this scene, Dave Kendall, hosted a, an event for Jones Wishlist, talking about women, domestic violence, a really, you know, important cause. And something that was a, it was a great event. A few of us club coaches attended a night. Good fun, good food, drinks, and a good auction, all going to a good cause. So well done, Dave and his wife, Nikki, on that. Good times. And obviously, Sam won an auction. Kind of mammoth. So if anybody wants to jump on that and donate to Sam Fairhurst, feel free. Uh, he'll need that. He'll need the help. Wait, are we starting to go fund me? <laughs> <laughs> if you give three dollars a month, it might help. Anyway, back to the topic, guys. Heading into you know, touching very early on next year's curriculum and how tryouts is going to look. Maybe and you know that's the kind of thought and that's what the channel that's heading into this week's curriculum. So Sam. What do you think, buddy? What do you think of these the start of these circulating rumours on touching on next year? I'm going to go back to what you first said three minutes ago about you weren't going to talk much. Yeah. I mean, Carl's had, what, 10 seconds? I think I got 25 seconds. <laughs> I'm done. That's it. I'm over. Uh, what's your initial question then? What, how are we starting it? Like what I do you want me to go into? Like I just said, I'm done. Tri- trios is quite a wide, wide topic. You know, There's a lot of different areas. Okay. Any area in particular? Okay, let's not talk too specifically on trials. Let's talk about how attention is now starting to shift on the sidelines to 
what's going to be happening next year? What's it going to look like? How's it going to go? You know, maybe something like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my immediate thought is it's people getting a little bit ahead of themselves. There's still, what, seven, maybe eight games left of the season for all of the teams in, especially in our leagues, SCDSL. Uh, so <clears throat> I think people should probably focus a little bit more on maybe next week's practices and next week's games. I think we're all experienced enough to know that even though we say that, parents are probably still going to chatter about tryouts on the sideline. Um, my advice would be to kind of not get wrapped up in that. Once once the season comes to an end, which will be, you know, around Thanksgiving time, there's even then, there's still a long time between end of season and tryouts. You can probably start to focus your attention then maybe around that time on, on tryouts. But at the minute, just focus on, you know, your child's development, Make sure you're getting them to practice, getting them to the games on time and all that sort of stuff. Make sure they're having fun and then kind of leave tryouts for a later date, I would say. Is it hard not to, you know, as a parent, is it hard not to want to be invested and want to and get excited about what's going to be happening next year? You know, it's getting towards, you know, after full league, the season kind of calms down in a, in a sense, calms down, you know, not, a lot, not too much going on in a competitive sense. So is it hard to not think about, you know, my kid's done well this year or my kid hasn't done well this year, whatever it is, you know, whatever side of the coin it is, what are we going to be doing next year? Is it hard? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a planner. So, like, I kind of get where they're coming from, but I still think it's still way too early for that. Mm-hmm. Like you said, we're only halfway through. There's still there's still a long time to go in the season. There's there's a lot of developing to be done. You usually start to find that these, the last, the, the, the later games in the league are the ones where you start to really see how much the kids are developing. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, you could you could be a parent on the sideline and, you know, let's say you, your kid may be struggling a little bit and you're seeing that and you may be starting to panic and think, oh, they're not going to be on this team next year. You start thinking about, you know, other clubs or this and that. And then there's still six or seven games where your kid could then, you know, something just clicks and they really start that development. And mm-hmm. by the end of the season, maybe they're, they're now picking everything up. Everything's kind of making sense to them. And then they're maybe one of the better players on the team by the end of the season. Yeah. And like your kind of talk about tryouts and playing for another club or whatever it is could affect that kid, you know? Yeah. Could affect the kid, could affect the team. Yeah, great point there. Nice, nice stuff there, Carl. Uh, yeah, I agree with Sam. Uh, personally, it's it's always like when you're through, not even halfway through league. It's a little bit early to be talking about it, but unfortunately, in this area, and I just I just don't mean our zip code, but just in Southern California and the soccer scene, it's just so competitive and. You know, there's so much that goes into it. I think it's just natural that, to be honest, sometimes you hear tryouts mentioned before Fall League, you know. So uh, it's going to happen, you know, and people are going to start probably asking questions and looking on different websites. My advice would be get the feedback from your own kid. I think sometimes too many uh, people are focusing on tryouts based on their own thinking. You know, maybe they're not happy with a team. Mm. Maybe they're not happy with a coach or a club, but is their kid happy? You know what I mean? So I think go off that feeling first Mm. and then, you know, kind of trust the process and see what happens. But I think right now, panicking 
and making any big moves and plans is just a little silly you know yeah especially with you know the kids being under the age of you know maybe 10 you know in six weeks time the kids are a completely different player sometimes you know what I mean so you know if you're if you're a parent of a kid who's in the middle ground of the team you know don't be surprised if they turn out to be the better player or they end on the lower end like it's just so scattered so I think making harsh decisions right now is too you know too early but it happens like it does like you know we it's the same as I think we talked about on the last one but people leaving teams mid-season you know so uh yeah that that's that's my two cents on that I think probably a good part to discuss might be uh the tryout like process what to look for I I don't know but yeah I think it's just hilarious that we talk about it so early right you know but then again, you look at professional sports, you know, before the Premier League's over, they talk about players moving and yeah, whatnot. So it, it's natural. Like, people are always looking at different angles and different options and trying to think what's best. Right. But, yeah, I, I don't think enough people ask their kids, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? You know, I think people, I've heard at times kids going to other tryouts, going to six tryouts, basically being forced you know, yeah. and you know if if someone's happy, great. They should stay where they are. If someone, if a kid's not happy, then okay, start to look at your other options. But it's it's interesting in this area as well. People just seem to look everywhere. Maybe I don't know because they live in fear that they're not going to make the team or something. I I don't know. It's kind of strange. Yeah, I think we can all agree as coaches and advocates of the game that the game never stands still. Everyone's always looking to the future. Everyone's always looking to the next practice session, the next game or next year in what we're talking about. Um, you slightly touched on it there. It's a refreshing outlook that maybe it, it is a good option to <clears throat> ask the kid what they want to do and how they're feeling. You slightly touched on it when you kind of mentioned the age of 10. I don't know if that's a definitive answer, but you know, similar to a lot of questions I asked would be, is there a criteria or an age where, you know, do you want to be asking a seven-year-old? You know, because they might be having a bad week and they might say, I hate soccer one day because <laughs> yeah, they're having yeah. a bad week. And then does that mean, oh, we've got to look for a new club? You know, that's a hasty decision maybe. So do you sort of look at that as in when do they reach that level of maturity where they can make a decision for themselves? Yeah, I think obviously that the parents know the kids better so they can kind of, of get a grasp on. You might have a seven-year-old that is very mature and can kind of have them conversations. Mm. I would say probably, I'm just thinking about the ages that I, I've coached in the past and trying to think. I think my, my all seven girls, I think they're all capable of, of making that decision. They're all smart enough and mature enough, I think. Um, to be honest, even some of the 10 boys, 2010 boys, I think would be able to make a decent enough decision and that would probably go off you know, whether they like playing for me as a coach or they like, you know, my practices and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, some of them, I think, could make a decent enough decision and I think would be able to express whether they are happy or unhappy. But there's still some players on that team as well that wouldn't be able to. Yeah, so you're correct in saying, you know, it, it's not really, an, it's more individual-based. It's not. There's not a certain age. It's more about how mature that kid is at the time and the parents know the kid's better than anybody. So I think you're right in saying that 
some of your 2010 boys could, some couldn't. Some yeah. of your 06 girls, 07 girls, sorry, could, some couldn't. It's not really, there's not a certain age to it. It's just how that individual is, how developed they are, and how conscious they are of what they're doing in the game and how they understand it. So, Well, like, I wasn't really kind of going on, let's talk to your kid and no, they'll make the decision. No, but no. an example is, say you have a kid at Beach FC who lives in Redondo, right? They're on the second team. Maybe they have four teams in that age group, right? They're on the second team. Then they're going to travel up to Fram in PV mm. to try out. Why? What? Why? Now, I can guarantee you that kid is probably happy enough in his team and happy enough traveling five minutes to their practice, wherever that Redondo High School or whatever. But it's more fueled for me by a parent chasing probably we're on the second team we don't have any chance of getting on the first team so we're going to go to this triad this triad and this triad and you know where i'm looking at it is ask your kid like are they happy and if they are then let leave them be what you know what i mean and again it goes back to all this intertwines every week doesn't it? But yeah. the chasing of statuses, you know, what's more fueled? Is it by the parents or the kids? And, you know, I, I get it. There's kids that want a goal set and then there's parents that have to make decisions, you know, based on what's best for the kids. But I think we're kind of saying that under the age of 11, you know, I think kids should be playing as locally as possible, mm. as close to their house as possible. I think when they get to that 11 v 11 stage they should start to probably figure out the best level for them but still locally as possible and then as they get slightly older i think really everything should be fueled by the kid and that we're talking about there 13 14 15 16 you know it should be fueled mostly by the kids so but you know we we've seen it over the years kids maybe you know on our first teams, you know, leaving to go play for a club and now they're traveling 25 minutes away. Now, why was that? And was that decision all fueled on the kid wanting to leave or did the parent think it was a better situation for them to step up? So I just, the, the triad season is hilarious. It really is. I think mini, it's... Mini transfer window. <laughs> it, no, honestly, I think it's worse than the the Premier League transfer window. No agents though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, like it's it's crazy. The behaviour's crazy. Yeah. I think the behaviour of uh clubs is crazy, like yeah. deadline day. Um, you know, we should maybe chat chat. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> chat about that. But yeah, it's it's hectic. I think in our club we've and then behind the scenes, I think we've done a really good job of smiling about it, trying to be very organised, communicate, but also not pressurize people but yeah it's i'm sure we could go into a few topics here that's pretty funny stories or but yeah it's it's pretty hectic it is got something written down here maybe we could talk about you know because we mentioned the transfer window and <laughs> an epidemic back home in the uk on sky sports news is deadline day with yeah. jim white himself one of the best days of the year isn't it? one of the best days of the year you're, you're on the tv you're looking at the bottom of the yellow bar for the breaking news yeah. <laughs> of a last minute transfer deal over in this country in club in Southern California I don't know if it's across the whole globe but in this area 
some clubs adopt the 24-hour deadline approach where the kid must sign for that specific team that they've tried out for within 24 hours of the tryout. Otherwise, they lose their spot on the team. Um, no agents involved. It's just parent and coach and club. But what are your kind of thoughts on that? I, I'm going to jump in, just be very honest. I think any adult that tells a parent with a very young kid, you've got 24 hours to sign, is an absolute disgrace and embarrassing. And if that club is behind that, they're an embarrassment. I, I think it truly is to pressure a parent who has a young kid into something like that, like that, is is embarrassing. And actually, in fact, it shows to me a little insecurity. The first word that came into my head was desperate. Yeah, yeah. The fact that <clears throat> yeah, and the just so for parents who have been in this situation, the reason the reason that clubs do this is because they're obviously scared of losing that player to another club usually a local club or a rival club if you will um, and that just shows that obviously for me they're not really confident enough in the product or in you know the, the coaching staff that they'll even allow people to go and try out somewhere else the reason they do 24 hours is most likely tryouts they know tryouts for that age group with different clubs and they, if they're giving you 24 hours they know that like the next day is that different clubs tryout and they literally just don't want you going to that tryout because they're worried that you might, you know, pick that other club over them. So very desperate, and I would encourage parents who are put in that situation to be strong, you know, do some research and not be kind of bullied into signing up after just seeing, you know, one one tryout. Yeah, put it all into perspective, right? This is an 11-year-old. Yeah. And it's very, very tough because people will try and guilt you into it and tell you that, you know, it's the right decision for your kid and they try and pull on your heartstrings a little bit and then... You know, they hit you with the, if you don't sign up in 24 hours, you know, your spot's gone. And then you start worrying that, oh, maybe your kid's not going to have a place to play soccer next year and all that sort of stuff. So <clears throat> if this does happen to anyone in the next few months, just uh, be strong and be patient with it. Yeah, the clubs and coaches know the angle, right? Yeah. They know that parents are, some parents are going to be panicked and not know what to do and not educated. You know, like, to be fair... I can be pretty harsh sometimes with my opinions, <laughs> but I also think some some of the coaches that go through this scenario and do this, it's kind of forced on them by clubs. Mm. They're panicked to get players yeah. on their team because if they don't, then they don't get paid. You know, there's that model oh, as well. Yeah. You know, right. so it's it, that is a vicious cycle. I I just wish, uh, you know, unfortunately we're not in the business like academies in the UK where they can be harsh like that yeah. because at the end of the road there is a lot of money involved with kids signing contracts and moving forwards I think out here when you got a 2009 kid signing for a flight 2 team and you hear you've got 24 hours to sign or are your spots given away I just think that's absolutely ridiculous I, I don't know what like you said there's insecurity there of their product and them as a coach and you know it's just not the way we should be treating kids and parents within the game you know you hear it all the time from all the other coaches and clubs oh the tryout period's hectic well it's hectic for that reason yeah. clubs and coaches are doing it and making it like that and mm. making parents so on our end we try to you know we try to be comforting a little bit more make the process a little easier you know we are big on promotion of our own players over 
the signing of newer players, you know, that shows our loyalty. And then in our communication and signing up for our teams, it's we offer a spot and we have kind of a more of a chat of, look, be upfront and honest. You know, if if you're trying out for three other clubs and trying to make, you know, you don't know what to do, we'll, we'll just put your name to the side, you know, and then within a couple of weeks, we're going to have to make a decision, you know what I mean? But telling them you've got 24 hours is, uh, is there anything <laughs> in life where you get 24 hours? Crystal Maze, remember that TV <laughs> yeah. show? I think you had one hour. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it, it's just... The uh, it's escape it's, rooms. <laughs> escape, yeah, yeah. Personally, Takeshi's Castle was my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a great point, you know, and... As I just said a minute ago, put things into perspective. It's not a life or death decision. You know, it, things will work out the way they're supposed to work out. And that's, I'm a big <coughs> believer in that. So just maybe, just quickly, something that came into my head, we quickly touch on it, um, just to end this part. But also, like, burnout. You know, kids getting burned out, pressure, players getting burned out, parents getting burned out. You know, if these kids, if these kids are being forced to travel... 30 to 45 minutes, two, three times a week to play on these teams and, you know, maybe more for some, you know, the higher level clubs, uh, high level teams, you know, and then travel two hours potentially to a game, you know, for a, a 70 minute game or a 60 minute game, you know, the burnout. Um, I don't know about you guys and your situations back home, but I experienced burnout at some point in my, as a kid. And it's, it, it, it deters you from playing the game at times. And that's the worst thing as a coach, as I'm sure we can agree, is when a kid says they're not enjoying the game anymore or you as a coach are experiencing burnout and you don't enjoy it anymore so kind of just something to kind of relate to what we're talking about here you know kids being pressured or parents being pressured and undertaking consequences in an environment that doesn't suit them by being forced to do these things and travel and you know it's tough right yeah it's a hectic process i think for definitely there's some kids that we know that try out at five different clubs yeah. And they're running from one try to another, mm-hmm. and it's like, I think it's just hectic, and it it doesn't, for me it doesn't cause a happiness, you know what I mean? You you talk to those parents who carry on, uh, on the same club for the for two or three years or four years, and they just talk about oh it's great to be able to just, you know, go through the tryouts. You know, we only go to two days. We didn't go anywhere else. We've a coach we we like, and you know a team. So uh, yeah, I just think about what you're doing to your own kid. Like, it's harsh, but like, what pimping them out to like five <laughs> organizations? <laughs> like that's yeah. a very harsh word, and I don't want it to come across that way. But yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, I think it's a hectic process to put any kid through. You know. So I'm just quickly. Well, I think that's probably the force. key of. If you, if the parent is the one putting them through it, then it is. It's a nightmare. If the kid, the, there could be kids that say, "Hey, I, I want to go and try it at all these different clubs." If that's the case, then we we say it quite a lot. If, it, if it's driven by the kid, we're, we're all for it. But yeah. I think that's that's the, the kind of the the issue is who who is driving it, and that's where like parents should just as tryouts are coming up, take a little step back, have a little think. Is it your kid that wants it, or is it you? Yeah. All right, just to finally sum up this part of the you know, part one of the podcast this week, just maybe a final question to survey everything. What should 
parents, players, listeners on the podcast look out for in tryout season? You know, there's maybe two to three criteria, the club, the coach, the level. What kind of things would you guys say that people should be looking out for when tryout season eventually comes around? Look, I think the first thing is they got to look at when our tryouts are. Well played, sir. No, no. <laughs> no look, uh, number one, you got to look at your situation you're in, first of all. So if you're playing ASO, you know, what's the closest club to where you live? That would be my first thing, you know. Uh, then when you do that research, what's the coaches like within that age group you're in? And then do a little background of the club, what they do in the community, what they do overall in soccer, mm-hmm. and then uh, attend the tryout. And then from there, you know, my advice to people would be, I think tryouts give you a real feel of what a club is. So, you know, look around you. What's the, what's the initial process of checking in? What are the coaches like in general? Do they say hello to you? Do they talk to you? Do they have a good relationship with the kids? I wouldn't say to people, don't analyze too much of what happens on the field in tryouts because it's a very hard scenario, you know, because maybe there's 60 kids at a tryout, 100 kids. So it's not maybe gonna look the cleanest. Kids will mostly be playing. Most of the time, coaches aren't really coaching. So I said, don't analyze that too much, but analyze the interaction the coaches have with the kids. And then the interaction the coaches have with the families. Uh, You know, one big thing people always say is, how do you evaluate kids when there's 80 at the tryout? So for me personally, it's very easy. I, I can see if a kid's into it and wants to play. And I talk like that, talking about the 2010 age group. We had about 60 kids, right? I could see who would be on our black and red team within the first 30 minutes. To be honest, we nearly had the team picked by then. Now, we did know a lot of the kids, so that's what I talk about, the promotion of within, you know, being loyal. But most coaches can see that. So you don't need to be doing skills or drills. You you can spot if a kid has ability in some area Mm. and then just touching on our club, we do try to promote more than bringing in outside players. However, if there is outside players that we think are gonna really add to our team quality-wise, then you know there's decisions to be made. So again, I just think you gotta look at the club you got to do your research, you got to look, find out about the coaches, ask questions about the coaches to other people, maybe there's people who have older kids, you know, and then do do your research at the tryout. And then after the tryout, look at the communication process. You know, if you get a coach who's organized calling you and not sending you a generic email, maybe that coach is going to put a little bit more effort in throughout the season. To your kid you know so little, little things like like that for sure but you know and then if you're a current club kid I think you gotta look at your own situation again you know again vibe off the kid if they're happy if they're sad and then take it like there but I'm big on localized playing you know I think there is a lot all the clubs in this area have got their good things and bad things 
for sure. And localized playing is huge. And if you look within that and it doesn't tick the boxes for you, then you're going to have to look outside that, unfortunately. And I say that unfortunately because then a parent's adding on 30-minute drive each way to their practices right. and they're affecting their kid in that way. So that would be... More time in the car than more playing. <laughs> yeah. Sam, just if I kind of round it up. I think Carl covered pretty much everything there. Uh, the main message. I don't have a cliche for this one. I'm I was like, can't they for Chelsea? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Covered, <laughs> covered, covered everything, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would just say research, research, research. The more research you can do, the where, better. Where, so you say research, where could they, what and where could they research? Obviously, you can get on the get on the club's websites and go on there. The, probably the, the best source is going to be like other parents or other people yeah. who have Word been a part of that club, yeah. And, you know, there might be a coach that you're trying to get some research on and everyone has great things to say. I would say just keep going. See if you can find something bad as well in terms of, you know, maybe you're just asking the people who, you know, really like that coach. There's, there's always going to be some people that maybe have some negative things, which it's always good to find out about them things. And then, yeah, I guess just the, the more you can find out about the club, the coach, the better. Here we go, Carl, go on. No, no, I've got a good one as well on the research don't read into results. Don't read into wins and losses because I know there is a lot more coaches out there who are probably losing more games than winning, but they're doing better work yeah. than those winning coaches. Mm. So, you know, it's not all about that. It really isn't. Again, club structure, coach structure, r- right environment. And environment means everything. Tick all the boxes. So... A lot of people just probably go on Fall League or State Cup or something and be like, oh, yeah, this team. Sure. But there's situations that play into things, you know, end of results, you know, I don't know, kids hurt, goalkeeper hurt, you know, something happening, a team being overflighted, underflighted. So results aren't everything. You know, that's why I think it's really important, like Sam said, talking and word of mouth, you know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of coaches are living off, hey, I'm a flight one team and you know, we did this, but are they are they doing the real work a coach should be doing? Yeah. You know, so All right. over and out. Yeah, great. Great first part in a summary like that. If you ever buy anything on Amazon or eBay, don't look at the five-star reviews. Have a look at the two <laughs> and three stars. They give you the most honesty. And if you're looking for something in club soccer, as Sam said, don't always look for the four or five-star reviews from parents. Maybe dive into the twos and threes. That might give you a true reflection of what decision you need to make. Good job, guys. Heading into part two now. All right, guys. Heading into part two of the podcast this week. Going into the full league review. Happenings from the weekend. Good things, bad things, funny things, sad things that we saw from our games as coaches this weekend. Who wants to kick it off, guys? I can kick it off if you want. Go on then, over to Sam. If you want to get my uh, nice little in-depth uh, account of my weekend. Please, no. <laughs> no. Um, four games for me this weekend. Uh, two of my own teams and then I covered covered a couple of games. Um, Boys 2010, again, really good performance. Um, getting better each week really doing a good job of everything that we're kind of doing in practice. They're, they're doing it in the in the games, which is brilliant. Some of the guys have come a long way from, you know, me thinking that they were going to struggle in the team 
and uh, they're absolutely flying every every single one of them we I was worried about certain players being weak in this area and that area but everyone's doing a great job to the point where I could almost pick the names out of a hat for who could play what position and they could all do a really good job um I covered the the girls 2010 uh red team um they actually lost the game but they played really well it was a really close game up until the last couple of minutes um a couple of good opportunities where on another day maybe the uh the forwards could have just been a little bit more aggressive and taken them chances when they got close to the goal they did that in the last five minutes and it ended up a 5-1 defeat but the girls did really well i was actually impressed with how they played and then I covered the 09 boys white team, which I've I've never actually watched one of, a full game of those. I've seen little bits and bobs. Again, that was a really good, entertaining game. 2-2 for the majority of the game. Boys doing some really good stuff, set them a few challenges, did a good job. They ended up losing the game 4-2. Um, and this is where my one little funny story from the weekend came. Um, quite a close game. Times looked like we were going to get the win, then it looked like the other team were going to get the win. It went back and forth. About five minutes to go, the other team scored a goal, and I think the coach celebrated more than what the players did. <laughs> he was beating his arms, beating his chest, screaming at the top of his voice, uh, which was nice. Nice nice for that coach to have a little bit of success. Uh, and then my all seven girls played a game on Sunday. We played who... When you look at the the fall standings, a team that were unbeaten, and a team that um, I know the coach, so I know are a, are a good solid team, matched them really well. Girls worked really hard, stuck to the game plan. Zero uh, zero at half time. We could have gone into the the half time in the lead, couple of half chances, uh, and then unfortunately the second half we just couldn't get the win. We ended up uh, falling, losing that game, but it was a very close game. Girls did really well. Um, and again, nothing, nothing outrageous in that game. Referee was fine. The other coach was fine. It was quite a, quite a dull weekend for me in terms of entertainment, if you will. No kids peeing on trees, you know. <laughs> no parent fights or anything like that. You know, it was just a, a good weekend of soccer, I guess. How about you? Uh, all good. Uh, didn't coach too many games. Covered a couple of games at the weekend. On uh, Meadows Field, Costa, massive field. Biggest field in the south. Oh, I don't know, Toyota and that, it's debatable, but I think the length on Costa is longer. The the width, I think, is similar to Toyota, but uh, had the old, seen some of the 06 black game on there, oh, then coached the 05s, and then coached the 04 red team, uh, played two team in the uh, South Bay Classico against Beach. Uh, it, what was pretty interesting was some of the kids who were in our club had left to join that team yeah. and uh, so all the kids knew each other so it was pretty competitive it was a fun game actually it was 2-1 to one to our club in the end but it was pretty tight but, but what was uh, brilliant in that game was and I don't know who the coach is the other team you know he, he seems like a younger guy really into it but so you know having the width of the field so big and then that field doesn't actually have corner flags for some reason there's no corner flags yeah, out there uh, he kept on getting into it with the ref about throw-ins on the opposite side that he probably can't see anyway because it's that big. He can't even see the line. <laughs> like, honestly, like, I, I would totally understand it if it was in front. 
and he's you know giving it the old it came off him but literally had to stop the game because he was getting into it about you've missed the last four how can you not see that I don't know what the distance is on the width of Costa what is it roughly what do you think yeah yeah so I don't know if this guy what's a superhero with great eyes is it Spider-Man or Superman or to somebody yeah I don't know but he has got some eyesight on him it because it's been his spider sense was tingling. Oh, <laughs> I've seen a few kids with Spider-Man masks. Yeah, but yeah, but honestly, he just kept getting into it every time, and for some reason as well, he always seen the offside on our end. Yeah, like so, but yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, an offside specialist. No, no, only for the opposing team though. Oh. You know. Every, for some reason, any time we played a pass, we were offside. He must have been uh, holding the the Arsenal, what was it, 1996 yeah. offside yeah. trap. Have you seen the Boys 06 Black offside trap? Have you seen that? Ah, oh, hey. Brilliant. Well, that's because, <laughs> what? I think Mark Gibbons played for us. No, no, I was going to say, I was going to say Mark Gibbons was probably 30 in 1996, wasn't he? That's a shout out to the main man, Mark Gibbons, the old dog of sand and surf as they call him. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, that was was pretty much kind of my only story. Uh, Great weekend as well for Premier League with that superb match. Back in it, back. Okay, we'll get onto that later. I think. Oh, in fact, actually, going back to that, the uh, the guy I was just talking about with the celebration. You watched the the Chelsea United game. The guy celebrating in front of Mourinho. Oh, the uh, assistant coach. Yeah, yeah. He was he was a little bit like that. He did he didn't come onto my side, but he was like you know that guy was going for it. Mm. That guy on the weekend was. Uh, was into it a little bit like that. And what game was this again, sorry? This was the 09, 09 boys white team. Big game then? Uh, I mean, nice. you call it a big game if you like, but... High, you know, high stakes. It's 09, they're still pretty young. They're still learning the game. It wasn't, wasn't, wasn't a cup final or anything. It was just a flight three game that's, on that's, Dorsey. That's, you know? what you, that's what you think. <laughs> hey, to, uh, the colder on Dorseyville. <laughs> I know you, Sam, want to address all the listeners... About Dorsey Field, we, there's been there's plenty of feedback. Go on, give them your truth and honesty about it. Yeah, I think uh, same. Say what you said before the podcast. We'll bleep it out. <laughs> yeah, same for both teams. You just got to get on with it. But uh, on that topic, it's it's nice you've looped us in on that topic. If anyone wants to donate some money to the uh, Sand and Surf Field Fund, we could maybe go about looking into getting some actual grass on Dorsey Field. Well, we're what are we? We're thinking more turf. Imagine that. Hey, twenty eighteen. It's turf got now. it's got lights. I'm uh, actually. We'll give a shout out to the the Brown family because they like to give us abuse about Dorsey <laughs> Field. Uh, you know, write a check. Yeah, <laughs> we could we, we could, could call, call it the Brown Field. Actually, it might as well be called the Brown Field now because there's no yeah. grass on it. <laughs> 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 Paying for free clips and archives isn't enough. You have to give some money to the film <laughs> fund as well. Exactly. All right. Um, story-wise, not too much for me this weekend for the full league. Coached five games, four of my own, covered one. Covered the 9 black team, Liam Hall's team. That was good. That was a fun game. Flight one ball against Fram. Good game, good result. Played very well. And my team's uh, played some good competitive games, a lot of home games. Just one of one away game at Real Socal, oh. Oakview Field. Have played oh, there? It's not the, one, it's not the it's hill. Not the hill. It's not the hill, but yeah, it was hot. 
But no, in terms of stories, not too much. As an overall, wasn't the best weekend for the teams, but you know we keep working, we keep going forward. But unfortunately, no real funny stories from from my end. Pretty casual. Um, yeah, not much to report to be honest. Hey, because this is a short section, then with a kind of quiet fall, let's get into Chelsea United. Come on, let's have it. Do we, so we've got Carl here, who's United, we've got me, who's Chelsea, and we've got Sam, who's somewhere in the middle. So we're going to go with the neutral view first? Think, no, or, no, no, no. I think though he's we, more northern than southern. So well, I agree, yeah. He's definitely more noise. United than Chelsea, yeah. Why don't we talk about Blackburn being Leeds? That, to be no, fair, no, that's, a, that's a two big teams. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, go on, great kick great it off. Team. Yeah, so... Two big championship teams. We do have a couple of Leeds fans in the, in the club, yeah. Well. Not, only, not only did we beat Leeds, but Bradley Dack didn't even score. What? Which is a little bit more astonishing, but it just shows we've got the firepower, haven't we? When, uh, what was the score? When Dak attack's not on. <laughs> just rely on Daniel oh. Graham, you know? Oh, no. 2-1. Two, 2-1 one. Two, one Rovers. Danny Graham still playing? Oh, is he? Leading the line? I thought he was done. Is he? What, how old is he, by the way? What is he? I'd guess 34. Let's have a little deal. He is. He looks. I would to guess. Me, he looks younger though. Goal scorer though. Hey, he scores, scores goals, doesn't he? He looks. He looks young. Slash should be on the only way as Essex, <laughs> doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. But what's uh, where are Blackburn in the league now? We're seventh after that. That were Leeds top it, of the table it was, at this point. Uh, no, they've been struggling, haven't they? The last couple of weeks. Oh, okay. Well, I wouldn't know, mate. Don't watch that football. Well, anyways, let's get back to... <laughs> 33, not bad. Wow. 33. Still got a chance, Sam. Get yourself in there, mate. Talk to your mate Bradley Dack. I, get yourself I, like he he might have the touch, but he won't pass a fitness test. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you should have seen his movement when he won that auction. He was flying everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was flying. <laughs> Sam and Golan. two-foot tackle. Yeah, <laughs> All right, we'll go with we'll go with Carl then. He wants he's very excited to talk about this Chelsea United from a United standpoint. My nah, own. nah, nah. I'm coming from a you know. Let, do we want to talk about the match or do we want to talk about the incident that happened at the end of the game? Because I want to hear Mr. McCarthy's reaction as a coach within oh, youth sure. players. I'm sure he'll be defending. Yeah, defending I, the I, so let's start on that. Obviously, we know who's scoring the match. We'll talk about that, but let's let's hear about that incident. So the incident was Chelsea equalising in the 95th minute to tie the game 2-2. Um, Jose Mourinho, ex-Chelsea manager, as many know, current Manchester United manager, the assistant coach of Chelsea, uh, Marco Iani. Maurizio Sarri's back from staff actually proceeded to run down the touchline right oh, I think he's missed out one part already did he not well, he first of all ran past the United bench I'm while get... throwing a fist pump to go down the sideline and then he came back so don't don't forget that crucial point I was going to get to that if you let me, <laughs> if you let me get there but sp- sprinted past the United bench a couple of fist bumps a couple of air punches eye contact eye contact made it a point to you know Ignite Mourinho's fiery attitude that we've seen before and celebrate right from the United bench was just definitely could have been unavoidable. It wasn't the cleverest thing to do. Um, in spite of Mourinho's recent comments about Chelsea and you know forgetting the fact that fans forgetting the fact that Mourinho is our most successful manager, uh, but no sparked a few, sparked a fight on the touchline. Mourinho proceeding to get involved. Managers, backroom staff, bit of a melee in front of the tunnel and players getting involved in the end. Don't think any punches were thrown. It was kind of dismissed pretty well by the staff, so we'll give them credit for that. But yeah, definitely a talking point. My personal opinion, 
I like to see the passion, you know, of an equal eye. I like to see coaches' passion when there's a you know a big event happens in the game. But I think it was very unnecessary to goad Mourinho and the United bench like that. I think it could have been avoidable. Just a simple, you know, fist bump or um, you know a high five of the Chelsea staff would have been would have sufficed. You know, whatever it is, but avoidable. But at the same time, I'm sure we've all been there in the moment. You're not thinking. You're not. You're not thinking straight in the moment. It was a big game, a lot riding on it, and you know, with Mourinho's history with Chelsea, it was easy to kind of get out of control. But definitely not an advocate of it. I don't. You know, I don't agree with it. Um, but you know, do you think it was premeditated? No. Did Did Chelsea not score in the end? Closest to the Chelsea bench, therefore celebrating on the opposite side of the field that he ran to. Don't so think he's ran, he's ran I don't out, think it he's was ran out of his way I'm, in the yeah. opposite direction of all Chelsea players and staff. Oh, oh, he, I did, he did it to wind him up. I, he did it to course, wind it up. Yeah, it, it, I don't think it was premeditated. I don't think he's sitting there going, you know what, I'm going to celebrate in front of Mourinho when we score this goal because you don't. I'll be honest, I didn't know if it was coming, and no one did. And it, thank God it did from a Chelsea perspective, but. You know, we understand the history of Mourinho at Chelsea and there's a lot of fireworks and a lot going on there. But, yeah, I think it was unnecessary, but definitely not premeditated. Carl, your thoughts on it? I, to be honest, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I think, honestly, you don't see enough passion. No, agreed. In the Premier League in general. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's totally out of order to be running that side of the bench and fist pumping, but... To be honest, if that happened in the Ferguson days, Ferguson would have done the exact same and got up to knock him out. Like, or got up to, you know, yeah. give him the old Fergie finger point, warning yeah. while chewing. He probably was spat his chewing gum at him or something. But <laughs> I, I think, look, we talked about the game. What I really loved watching in that match was second half, United showed passion. You know, the players did. The manager does show passion. I know we've talked about he's a little bit grumpy and this and that, but he's shown passion for the fans and passion for the team. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen a couple of points when Mourinho stood out in the field to give Luke Shaw a coaching point. Did you see that? He went yeah. on the field. He went he, on yeah, it. Yeah. And then he, he was... Uh, Tony Martial. Yeah. He went on and give it yeah, yeah. Like, he, you know, so it's just for that, it was great to see. Uh, me and Dan were talking about it. And Chelsea had all the you know the boxes ticked on possession and stuff like that but to be honest I think a lot of it was pointless possession I think that's where the boxes were ticked I, I thought United were a little bit more the dangerous side the second half I thought Chelsea were the more dangerous team in the first half because it's interesting like we come out defensive like it, it's a def- it, you know what I mean is it is it the case of we're trying not to concede goals in the first half and then go after the second half? I don't know, but yeah, so it was a great, great match, obviously being a United fan, 2-1 up. So this is this is no word of a lie. I'm watching the match. I had a text drafted to McCarthy with, with that gif, with Mourinho touching the badge, going shoes, and Barkley scored, and I had to delete it. <laughs> so... So, hey, that's what it's all about. But then that, that stuff happened at the end. You know what I was really annoyed at on NBC? The, the commentary and all the punditry. They didn't talk about the match at all. Oh, after. They yeah, just we, talked about... We've said this a lot. Though. They don't seem to joke. do that. They're not very analytical. Yeah, they, they, they literally just focused on 
Negative. The Mourinho situation, you know, and then you flip it over to listening. Uh, I don't know if you listen to the Gary Neville podcast. It's only like 16 minutes long and he does it when he's commentating on matches and he was at this game at Stamford Bridge. Uh, but he, he made it, Gary Neville made like a one minute comment on it. He had no problems with it either. And then he started talking about the analysing of the game. And it's like NBC... Talk about that a little bit more than the drama. And uh, to be honest, I don't know if you've seen the the conference after with Mourinho. No, I'm glad he approached it that way. And he told the reporters, he basically was like, so Sarri had got his assistant to say sorry to him. Yeah. Mourinho accepted the apology, appreciated that. Him and Sarri have a good relationship. He's like, it's done. He was like, look, in the past, I've done things. You know, we yeah. talk about the yeah. slide yeah, yeah, yeah. and all the comments. And he's like, and I've apologized and moved on. And I would have liked... Them to ask him a bit of questions about what, what was the difference? Yeah, the first the, half yeah, and the yeah. Half like you know, we want to know. It's just to be honest, and and it just I feel for Mourinho right now. The stuff that he's getting asked is just a joke. Like, and it's an agenda. Yeah, just keep it a bit, a little bit more about what that was. A great match. Yeah, no, it was definitely a great match. Brilliant advocate for the Premier League. That's what the Premier League is all about. Entertainment. No sides ever out of it, and I agree with Carl. First half, Chelsea had were the better team, and then second half, Man United came out and really showed why they're a top team and a top club. And you know, Martial showed Martial. why he's a top player. You know, came from France. France. Yeah, brilliant. But English media said he had no chance. Oh, 50, keep going. Fifty million down the drain. Keep going. Tony Martial scores, scores again. again. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you to a northern, but yeah. Um, for me, Carl said Chelsea dominated all the stats in terms of possession, shots and goal, but at the end of the day, there's only one stat that matters and that's the score. Um, I think a draw, personally, was a fair result. I know it's hard as a United fan to say when you're 2-1 up with one minute to go, you know, you don't deserve to win, I understand that. But I think from the overall scheme of the game, a draw would have been a fair result for both teams. Um, and I agree, and I want to touch on the fact that NBC don't analyse the game, but and that was a shame because I think Mourinho, a lot of people were saying before the game, Chelsea are going to win this 2-3-0. They're the better team. They're the, you know, they're being coached in an attacking sense. Mourinho's struggling. And I disagreed with everyone that said that because Mourinho knows what to do in the big games. He knows how to frustrate other teams. He knows how to t- set up his teams tactically to nullify other teams' threats. Hazard didn't really see him in the game. I was going to ask, why did he not play? <laughs> yeah, is, he, is he carrying an injury? Yeah, like, apparently, I don't know if you've read it, but apparently he was injured. Oh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I, oh, my goodness. He, yeah, he was injured because... No, injured during the game. Like, not before the game. During the game, he got a hit from Ashley Young in the back, and apparently... I'm not, yeah, I was, was, was going to say that, though. He looked like you, you know... He was sheepish Usually when half. someone's injured, they can't move. That's why Ashley Young put him in his pocket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thought he'd but, carry him around a little. Yeah, no, that's not an excuse. You know, Hazard, no. Tactically, very well. They eliminated Hazard. Jorginho wasn't passing and spraying the ball like he usually does. They tried to get Mata to sit on. They, yeah, sit they, on um, Alonso, as we know, is not the best uh, defending left back in the world. They Both goals came from his side. You know, Mourinho spot on with the tactics, nullified our threats, uh, stomped on our weaknesses. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, got a good result. Chelsea away in the form they're in, you know, it's a good result for United. Um, but yeah, definitely a lot more credit needs to go. As Savvy said in his press conference, a lot of credit has to go to Mourinho for what he done there, what he's done in the past to Chelsea. And, you know, we saw Mourinho put three fingers up at the end. 
letting the Chelsea fans yeah. know he's won three Premier League titles, and I agree with Brilliant. him. He was being goaded by the fans. Very short-term memories. Only 10 years ago was Mourinho smashing the Premier League with Chelsea. So, you know, give the man some respect. You don't have to love him. You don't have to like him. I disagree with some of the things he's done, you know, pointing to the badge, some of the comments he's made about his old club, Chelsea. But you don't have to love him or like him. You've got to respect him, though. He's not going to like this down when he says, but we've talked about Chelsea fans. (laughs) To me, it summed it up, right? Giving Matt an outstanding clap and then treating Mourinho like that. Disgrace. I think you got. I think you got to be. You got to take a long term. <laughs> hey, here we go. Here we you go. You got to take a broader view of that. Saying Chelsea fans, I think the stadium reacted to Mourinho getting up on his and they've seen that and maybe not. You know they don't get as much access to behind the scenes stuff as like the TV who analyzes everything. They've just seen Mourinho getting up trying to fight the Chelsea backroom staff. So of course they're going to back their the manager and back the staff and say well, you know whatever it is. But I don't think you can say that. We don't appreciate Mourinho as a collective fan base. I think there's a lot I'm of fans joking, out there. Don't get <laughs> a lot of fans out there, including me, who respect Mourinho. But no, what a great game! You know, two two four thirty in the morning here. I don't know if you got up for that time, Carl, to watch it. I watch it a little bit later, but no, I watched brilliant. it later, a little later, just earlier in yeah. the morning. But yeah, no, brilliant. Uh, and then. I don't know if you're just quickly talking about it, but the West Ham Tottenham match. This absolute snooze fest. Yeah, I watched a little bit. I watched Love the first derby. Half. It was boring. Yeah, absolutely boring. Yeah, terrible game. Any other good games? I saw City. I didn't see many highlights yeah, of the games City this weekend. Smashed Burnley, which is always nice. Oh yeah, not a big Burnley fan, are you? <coughs> and then uh, I watched the Liverpool match actually last didn't night. Uh, uh, didn't see much. To be honest, yeah, Huddersfield uh, are having trouble, aren't they? Scoring yeah. goals. They were unlucky, actually. Did you see that they did the interview with Klopp and Wagner together? No, I didn't oh, see that. best mates, didn't they? Sky yeah. Sports got them both together. Didn't know that. Oh, <laughs> tell you what, a few Pilsner was drunk after that, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, two just... good friends. L- Liverpool, though. Liverpool are flying, aren't they? Dude, I'm just looking now. The level, level on points of Man City. Yeah. Only conceded three goals all season. Van Dijk, isn't it? He's the Van Dijk effect. He's changed a lot, you know? Liverpool have done well to address their problems and they look good. Did you, uh, just on that point, did you see Chris Sutton saying about he should be for the Ballon d'Or? Who, Van Dijk? Van Dijk? Yeah. Uh, that's, what I mean, that's a bit, that's a stretch too. Blackburn legend, but <laughs> Chelsea legend. nonsense he does. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. <laughs> yeah, I think he's just trying to get his name in the papers, I think, with that comment. Oh, but no, brilliant player, definitely. But when is a last defender to win the Ballon d'Or? Fabio Cannavaro? Cannavaro. Cannavaro. Doesn't happen, yeah. does it? You know, I remember John Terry getting second, but it just doesn't happen. You know, and rightly or wrongly, you can argue that all day long, but I don't think a defender's winning the Ballon d'Or anytime soon no. with the Neymars and uh, um, Mbappes and coming through and of the obvious era of dominance between Messi and Ronaldo. So, but no, I think quiet kind of weekend from the full league on our perspective and a quiet weekend pretty much in the Premier League apart from that Chelsea United game. I do still think City will walk the league. I think when they get going, they're unbelievable. <laughs> you know, uh, they won't hit the heights of last year. I don't think, but you know the way I saw, I saw the highlights against Burnley and five brilliant goals and their firepower is just insane. And Kevin De Bruyne Kevin is back. Bruyne Your is mate good. Sam, yeah, so brilliant. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. Anything else you want to touch on, Sam? We we still haven't heard from Wilfred Zaha oh, about yeah. getting on the podcast, so. 
if, if you're listening, <laughs> Wilfred, uh, get he, in touch. He missed, a, he missed a penalty at the weekend, didn't he? <laughs> did he? Yeah. Uh, Pickford, did he? Pickford saved it, didn't he? Didn't he trade it? No, he, he, he didn't, he didn't was, take the penalty. It was, was it Mahalovic? Yeah, oh, the captain sorry, took sorry. the penalty. He won the penalty from a little dive that I know Sam was enraged about. <laughs> but no, good player. Rumours that a couple of top four teams won him again after he's... You know, I he tried he's carrying that team. He is carrying that team, but is he good enough for the top four? After his disappointment at United, is he is he just we'll a good put, top I think we'll put that down to David Moyes. I think Fergie would have got a better over him. Yeah? It was Fergie signing, money. Right. Right, fair enough. Carl, any lasting thoughts? No, all good. All right. Cheers. And into part three. See you guys there. And into flight three of the podcast this week. Going to answer a couple of the questions that have been sent in from you guys. Appreciate that as always. Question one, guys. Good one sent in here. Is it better for a player's development to play club soccer between the ninth and 12th grade? Or would it be a better decision to play high school, varsity, JV, fre- you know, whatever, freshman, but whatever it is. Sometimes you can't do both, depending <coughs> on, the, on the school, on the club. Certain requirements, restrictions, whatever it is. So what would you kind of recommend on that front? Sam, as a high school coach, or all three of us actually high school coaches, really? you can kick it off, mate. Uh, should we start by letting everyone know kind of the rules on the high school yeah, stuff? Yeah, go ahead. That might be helpful because I'm sure a lot of people out there don't know it. Um, so you guys just correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Dan just mentioned that the rule of like not being allowed to play high school. Players who are not allowed to play high school are players who play for a development academy team. Um, any other level is allowed to play club and high school it's just development academy <clears throat> and that is all across the country it's not just in California it's any development academy in America so basically it's just the rule of the league and that's how they do things um, and that's boys and girls they're in our boys development academy and girls development academy um, we should also note that um the high school age groups on the club side of things take a break for high school anyway. So basically, once the high school season starts in what, November time, those teams and those age groups will be on a club break because a lot of the girls or boys do play high school. And then once high school season finishes, that'll be when you find the club season starts up again. And State Cup is usually later for all people in those age groups, especially in California. So the players can play high school, rejoin the clubs and then play State Cup. Uh, My view on it is, um, I'm going to kind of just attack it from a a playing high school point of view. Like, do you play play high high school or not? Liam Messi. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My take on it is it it depends on the coach. So I've, I've coached in high school in the past. And there are some very good high school coaches out there. There are also some very, very poor high school coaches. And the coaches that I'm referring to are coaches who are technically not really soccer coaches. Often it's a what, P, what a, are they? a PE teacher. Some, sometimes it's Drill a sergeant. sometimes it's a geography teacher. Shout it, it could shout just out to Eddie it could just be anyone who works <laughs> in a school. I've also seen just kind of any local coach who coaches in club be brought in to coach a high school programme. And I've seen some very low-level, low-licensed high school coaches 
where they basically every session just involves running. They think you've got to be as fit as possible. Maybe because this coach has played another sport where it is all about being fit or strong, blah, blah, blah. Um, so my, my take on that one would be just depends on the coach. If it's a real coach who you know has proper licences, proper experience, knows what they're doing, then I'm all for it. Uh, again, it's, it's great to continue playing at a different level with different players, get exposure to a different coach, but only if that coach is a, a good, solid coach. So what about the kids who do do both, or can do both, should we say, but, you know, they might have a club and a high school game conflicting, or practice, what would you kind of <clears throat> recommend for that? Because I know, with myself, I've coached um, high school, and there's been girls who have been in, not DA teams, but high-level club teams, and maybe they've taken that as priority over high school, or so I know it you depends mean, on how good the high school is. Are the teams doing extra practices, the club teams? Yeah. So what would you kind of, how would players and parents who are listening prioritise which one would they prioritise and how would they manage both well I mean it's a tough in your one opinion. yeah I mean I guess you've got to look at it as that the club the club team and the club league is taking a break for high school mm. so I guess that's kind of you know the the league like we use the SCDSL maybe that's their way of saying now's the time for you guys to play high school Yeah. so I guess maybe your commitment should be you know towards that high school programme if you've obviously gone gone to a tryout, made the team, you've committed to that team who have, you know, regular practices and you're practising because you're playing in games at the weekend or, well, no, it's not really weekend, but you're playing games that week as opposed to, <clears throat> you know, going to these one-off practices with your club team, which I guess the coach is doing it to just keep the girls or the boys together, keep them ticking over, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I understand that. But, you know, if the, if the players are, are being play, put in a high school programme which has a proper league going, I guess that should probably take priority. Right. So it depends on the calendar of the year. Yeah, That's understandable. Carl, your thoughts? Marlborough, girls, high school, varsity coach, head coach? I think Sam pretty much covered it. I think it's similar to our discussions about like ASO and other sports, yeah. to be honest. Uh, you know, and I have, I actually think the kids are older and they can think for themselves and get on with it. You know, uh, there used to be big feedback when I had my older team about, you know, Carl, and this was kids that played at multiple high schools on my team, but, you know, the coach doesn't do things like you. He's playing me in a different formation. You know, he talks about this and et cetera, et cetera. And my communication straight back to them was, like, you're, you're 15, right? You've been playing the game since, what, you were seven? Get out and play the game and be quiet. You know that was pretty much what I would what I would say to him. Uh, so it's the same thing, you know. Like, yeah, there's there's great coaches, there's bad coaches, but it's the same in club. To be honest, it's actually the same in the development academy. Who am I to judge? Nobody really. But there's good and bad everywhere, and it's just like players get on with it and play. You know. So obviously. Our club not having a development academy, we take a break so that the kids that go in to play high school can go play. Uh, and again, to the parents, I'm like, buy into it. Don't read into it too much. Just let the kids play. It's different, you know, but it's, <clears throat> it just is what it is. It's did, another platform. Did you boys play at high school when you were younger? When you were back home? No, I played, I played the first two years and I wasn't allowed to play. 
Yeah, it's just it's scattered. I, I yeah. remember the early days of playing high school was just you just got to play with your schoolmates, and it was a different team. It was the you know the people you hung about with. It was just a little bit more fun. It wasn't anything serious. It was just good good times playing with your schoolmates. Yeah, it's the same out here. You know, like kids come from different teams, different levels. Uh, I think it's great. You know, yeah. You know, sometimes is the coach's information right or wrong? I, you know, maybe, but I think the kids are all educated enough at that level I now. To, to, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, and and uh, you know, we'll plug the school that we're at. You know, just took over the program this year. Me and Sam at Marlborough, and we have all all our girls play club, flight one, ECNL, DPL. DPA, uh, GTA, <laughs> no, no, uh, and there's actually there's a few girls in the development academy too, and our first communication was, we're not here to tell you how to change your game. We're just here to be another resource. We're here to keep you fit, keep you ticking over, make sure you get no injury, and add little spices to your game. That's it. And once we got out on the pitch, and the girls seen what we were doing. What then ended up happening was, and this is a big thing in high school, coaches have to gain the players' respect. And once you do, people buy into it. And we even had girls who play on very high-level development academy teams saying, hey, can I train? Can I do this? Because they recognize that it's another resource. So I, I would say that all people go into your high school program, and this is for players as well, with an open mind. You know, there's a lot of club coaches out there that, bark on about high school's rubbish, the coaches are rubbish, but that that's not true, you know? And that's me having coached in the college game, high school game, and club now out here. It's just not true. It is, you know, true for some schools that it's not good, but not across the whole board. So, and again, for me, why put a player off playing, getting an opportunity to play more? You know what I mean? Like, they aren't a pro team, they're club team. You know, so getting ready for State Cup in November when State Cup's in March, like, I don't know. So did that answer any of the question or was I just talking rubbish? A little bit. bit, 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 bit <laughs> the <No>. usual then. <laughs> but no, um, I think I'll hit a nail on the head there. Never take an opportunity away from a kid to play. You know, experiencing different environments, different situations, different ways of learning is only going to help that player, you know, to learn different things, take bits and pieces from each, maybe learn, maybe you take one thing from one coach, one thing from another, you don't take five things from one coach, you take five from another, but, you know, playing, playing, playing is great, different environments, different situations will only help the overall perspective of that player. I know, being a coach at Loyola High School and all-boys school, that we're a big supporter of uh, of high school stuff and club soccer, you know, and we understand these club kids who are playing flight one level. It's an intense level. It's a lot. And, you know, high school should be a welcome break from that and be an opportunity to, you know, play with your high school buddies at a decent level, another opportunity to be coached and playing. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a good opportunity. I think it's a, that's a great point. I actually think on the opposite end for club coaches, it's it's actually nice to get that break. Yeah. You know, and they should welcome it and they should urge their players to... I, I do think a lot of high school programs are too much as well. Five days a week. I don't think it's needed for kids that just play the whole fall. 
mm. that she'll be fit yeah. and possibly on the verge of getting injured. No, yeah, we so do that. I, yeah. I think high schools could be a little better, but I think for the club also, being a club coach who coached at a high school age, I, I actually enjoyed when the kids went to play high school. I'd go out and watch a couple of games. Right. And then the boys would be, you know, jonesing to come back in the club, you know, we talked about that out here. We don't actually have a break. You know, where, where we're from, we used to have that break in the summer, you know, and then you couldn't wait for fall league. Yeah. But here it's just back to back to back to back on the club side. And to be honest, it gets boring. You know, you see that burnout. Mm. And it's just because if you're not in a spring league, you're then in spring tournaments and then you're in four summer tournaments and then you're in fall league, which is Saturday, Sunday, Saturday. And then... You know, so I would welcome the break on the club side for sure and urge people, you know, it's refreshing. Yeah. Make it more about enjoyment rather than a chore, right, which you can do at times. Yeah. That's why you see it. The level's different. Maybe the play isn't attractive all around all the time, but there's some high schools that play the right way and coach the right way. Yeah, it's like anything, right? It's like any level. AYSO, there's going to be good teams, there's going to be bad teams, there's going to be good good coaches, bad coaches. Yeah, look. Club, same. High school, same. College, same. Professional, same. It's like uh, Premier League players going to play for Republic Ireland in the international duty, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, unfortunately, that style of play isn't the most, you know, but it is what it is. It's just a different environment. Different coaches, you know. More opportunities to learn. Yeah, whatever. And enjoy. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Good roundup, good answer to the question there. I think 70% of it was inf- informative, so we'll take that. And, we'll and you're at 30%, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't really. Can't really, can't really suffice with that. Sort of throat. Didn't really add too much. But second and final question of the week, relate, relating back to our topic of today, kind of the tryout scene, the the circus of tryouts chatter now beginning um question coming here from one of the 06 red parents was on more the tryout side of things the question was if you're conducting tryouts and you only have one to two hours to evaluate the players and you have a high turnout in that specific tryout how do coaches go about picking and choosing potential players in such a short amount of time so could be very insightful here for our parents and players yeah. to understand what we look for and what we see. So this is quite a simple one. Basically, what, what I would do is line everyone up side by side in height order, tallest to smallest. <laughs> Just pick the tallest 10 or 12 players and then the rest can go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's, 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 America. that's America for you. No, 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 we're there. Do you, do you not get them to do a sprint? Uh, yeah, if there's a couple that are the same height... We will uh, make them run and fastest one wins. Not a jump off? Nah, no, nah, it's all right. Running because we kick it long and they run after it. Right. We don't kick it high. So whoever can win ahead is in. No, whoever can run after a ball quickest. <laughs> you just said high. <laughs> no, we don't kick it high. <laughs> no, but you. you Have want, you not seen my teams play? You want height. You want tall players, right? They got to win headers. Sam just wants what he didn't have. <laughs> didn't have that height, did he? That's why he didn't I'm make it. I'm very surprised you're not advocating for the smaller guys. Being I know. A, hey, that's right. Hey, he we're, to, we're in America. He got told too many times. He's just not big enough. <laughs> I, I can imagine. Yeah. I don't have to feel <coughs> <laughs> 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 Anyways, back to the trials quickly. The, uh, me? Yeah, go on. Uh, what do you look for in a tryout for once two hours when there's a lot of kids in attendance? I think I kind of answered this one earlier yeah. slightly, but 
there's there's look for me I can see pretty quickly. Uh let's just give an example. Let's take the oh nine boys within our club. We have three teams, right? Let's say we're gonna do three teams next year. The first thing we do is going into that tryout, we see which kids, you know, we're keeping on what teams, what we're doing with our existing players, you know, are we promoting players? Is the players leaving? And we figure that out. Then what we do is we look at the tryouts and then the numbers and then start to, you know, really within the first 25 to 30 minutes, identify kids that have something about themselves within the game. You know, is there anyone that are good dribblers, got a good sense of the game, you know, can pass the ball. And then what we look at after that is maybe, you know, physical attributes as well, but that's not the first, you know, that kind of thing. And then, you know, stuff that I look for is when kids aren't part of a club team is like, and you might laugh at this, but we're in, you know, a United shirt. No, no, no. <laughs> but we're in, you know, like soccer, the, soccer stuff, like soccer the cleats, kid, into the, the look of it, you know, because <clears throat> it might show that they're they're into it, they're that kind of thing. So I take that into account. So you you're know, saying that the kids who have their shin guards over their socks haven't got a chance? No, not necessarily. <laughs> but I mean, I take, you know, these are little tiny things at the end. And then, to be honest, one thing that does become a factor as well, and people should really know this, is word of mouth on the parent end. So, you know, maybe we get told you've got six or seven kids trying out from another club or ASO, and then we get some word that, you know, this parent's hard to work with, hard to deal with, you know. Take that into account too. Like, people people might be surprised at hearing that, but it's the truth, you know. So, like I said, first 25 minutes, we're looking at what the kids have about themselves. The kids that are, are existing in our club, we pretty much have made that decision going into the triad. We pretty much know the kids, whether they've been in the club a year, two, three years. So if you're outside the club, we're looking at, do they have something dribbling, passing, a sense of the game? Then we're looking at other little tiny things and then we're taking in other factors as well. Word of mouth, you know, kids that know people telling us, oh, Johnny's a really good goalkeeper. Like we don't necessarily know that <coughs> stuff. So. Yeah, it, it's a lot of things. Uh, but like I said, a lot of people think, you know, in two hours you can't do a kind of feedback session. You can. Yeah, I, can. I agree. You, you can, can tell you can tell players right away by the way they kind of move, control the ball. Yeah. You know, they're asking for the ball. It's quite easy to spot an actual, like, a, a good player. Um, I think when we have high numbers, I think you touched on it early, <clears throat> best thing to do is just kind of get them playing, watch them in their natural habitat, if you will. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're picking players to be on a team to, to play games. We're trying to develop in the game. So we would, with high numbers, just get as many games going as we can. So there's as many kids playing and, you know, not sitting out. And then we just stand back and watch and look for those things that Carl was just saying. Um, yeah. The players that we know, maybe we know that someone's definitely keeping them on the team because maybe they're the best player on that team. Maybe we bring them out a little bit and they sit on the sideline a little bit more to give other people a chance and give us a look at them. Um, but yeah, it's it's mainly done by just just watching them play, really. Yeah, I agree with both both what you guys said. Just for me, I look for specifically who's doing the basics right. I think a lot of kids when they see tryouts and parents, 
they think this is a chance to shine, which rightly so, but I think they take it into a different respect of let me try and dribble around seven kids and score a wonder goal or let me try and show off to the coach and do a rainbow over someone's head. You know, coaches are not looking for that. They're looking for, I know I'm looking for, the kids that can do the basic thing right. Who has a good first touch? Who can make a 10-yard pass? Who can keep the ball? You know, soccer is a simple game. Sometimes it's overcomplicated a lot by coaches and players. I think, as any coach would say correctly, if you do the basics right, I think you're halfway there. And I think in a trial, don't try and impress too much. You know, we're not looking for the kids who are scoring a goal and then turning around looking at the coaches going, oh, was that good? Did you see that coach? You know, just play your game, do your thing and enjoy it. You've got to have fun. I know there's a lot of kids we look for as coaches, the kids who are enjoying themselves and having fun and who are really committed and love the game, you know. and Probably some good information for parents would be like on the tryout, you know, set up for most clubs. I think like we talk about parents analysing, I think sometimes too much analysing goes into the tryout and what happens within it. I think it's tough at times for clubs. Like we are a smaller club, so our numbers are slightly smaller than most. So we can police a little bit more. I think it's really tough for a bigger club, you know, when you have multiple levels to not do scenarios where you separate yeah. You know, like put all the flight one kids on one field and then the lower level kids on the other. But they do do that as well because if there's a kid coming from ASO coming up against, you know, a kid who who's on flight one team, they, they're going to have it. They're going to find it really tough. Yeah. So I would say to parents, you know, don't analyze it too much. But it also is, it's interesting, right? Because it's also a scenario where... It's the one time where I think a lot of people get told yes or no in this culture. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you, don't, make, you don't just make a team or you don't just be given something. It's you're being put in a very competitive environment. Like, like I tell people, you know, we get phone calls about when's your tryouts and how much is it? And I'm like, look, you got to come out first and make the team and do this. You know, it's not just a given. It's a competitive tryout. There are yeses and nos, you know. So I think it's really hard for all clubs and probably some of the bigger clubs to even get it perfect. So they might have to be a little bit more... Understanding? No, well, I'm saying the other clubs might have to be oh, a little yeah. bit more, you know, separated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's tough. You know, I think for a club like us that has two teams in one age group, we can do a, we can make the process a little easier. Mm-hmm. But when you have six teams, it must be very hard. Yeah. So I would say to parents, look, don't analyse the situation too much. And to be honest, if your kid's being put on the field with the kids that are lower level... Maybe them coaches just think your kid's a lower level and it's just you being told that. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, it's a hard <clears throat> way to take that on board as a parent, I'm sure, but it's, you know what I mean? It's, it's a game of opinions, right? This game. Well, yeah, well, and it's just telling you where you stand. Yeah. You know, not everybody can be the best. No. You know, so. No, the team's not going to consist of 11 to 15 amazing players. There's all sorts of levels, shapes, and sizes, and it's. That's what part of the team's being, right? Is what you can bring to the team something different to them, what somebody else could. You know, and then trials, we're looking for the kids who can complete a team. We're not looking for 11 extremely talented individuals. It might be something that they bring different. 
that we see at a tryout. They might not be scoring all the goals in the tryout, but they might have that one or two moment where they do something. You might not see it as a parent, but the coaches do. And that's what you want. That's what the coach wants to bring in that team. Yeah, I think a great point. I probably think an add-on to that point would be from the parent side is, and to all our parents in the club, you know, people might have the thoughts of, hey, Dan and Sam, those kids are really good. They should be on our on that team, but it's not your team. Doesn't fit the team dynamic. No, no. But what I'm trying to get at is, it's the coach's team. Mm. Yeah. It's not their team. And you know what? Hey, could Ronaldo and Messi be a good fit for United? Of course they could. You know, and could they play? But maybe, maybe they're not a both the right fit or something like that. You know. It's. I think parents get wrapped up in that too much as well, worrying about the team and who should be on it instead of focusing a little bit more individually just on their kid and getting that feedback and moving forwards. You know what I mean? Like we, we have it all the time where you'll hear parents saying, oh, we should have took this kid. But it's not your team. It's the, it's the coach's team. Right. And if you're signing up to that coach's team, then you're supposed to be buying into what he's doing. But if you're saying this stuff, clearly you don't buy in. So don't sign up for that team. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, like you guys know, we sit in here after tryouts. We've got all the little pictures of kids. And there's probably, what, six of us that pick a team. Right. And we make decisions based on a lot of things. We don't get them all right. No. You know, but it's just part of the process. So, again, I think people should just... Pull back, focus on your kid individually, you know, and steer yourself in the right direction, hopefully. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Any lasting thoughts, Sam? Uh, no, nothing to add. Carl, all done? All good. Steve Merriweather just walked in the office. You want to say hi to the listeners, Steve? Nobody's listening. <laughs> Nobody's listening to Steve. <laughs> so, couldn't, couldn't, <laughs> like it. couldn't agree more. He's just a little bit unhappy that West Ham got beat this weekend. Hey, I think he must have went to a funeral. He's walked in and all black. Did one of your teams do badly at the weekend? <laughs> no, my team's, uh, as usual, got the victory over South Bay Galaxy. We try not to talk about other clubs and fake pre's in here. Yeah. We knew he'd bring the tone down. Development over results, Steve. Yeah, I've developed them to win games. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> maybe a topic for another time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So just answering them questions there. Thank you for sending them in. Feel free to keep, you know, keep listening, keep sending your questions in. We, we love to see them, love to hear them, and we'll do our best to answer them the best we can with tryouts. Sit back, relax, let it happen. It will figure itself out. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, that was week seven of the Upper 90 podcast presented by Sand and Surf Soccer Club. Just some club news for you here this week, same as always. Velocity is back on this week. Make sure the teams who are registered to be there, get yourselves down there, get some extra work in over there. This Wednesday, last skill sessions for the fall. 6 till 7pm for the 2010s to 2007s. 06s to 04s, 7 till 8pm, both at Begfield. This is the last week of skills for a few months, so make sure you get yourselves down there. 
get some touches and skills going ready for your remaining full league games. Good luck to everybody in their full league games this weekend. Hope it all goes well. The next big club event coming up, the Halloween event, October 30th, down at the new Manhattan Village Field. There'll be plenty of candy, games going on, and of course, a dress-up competition. And the best thing of all, it's all free. So make sure you get yourselves down there. Show us what you got. Bring the club together and have some fun. Look forward to it. Also, back to the podcast. We are now on the Apple Podcast app. Most of you probably are listening on that platform. So if you are, please leave us a five-star review because that's the only stars we deserve, let's be honest. Give us some details, what you like, what you could do better, ETC. It'd be great. Everyone else, keep listening, send in your questions. We'd like to hear from you guys and we'll always do our best to answer your questions. We'll keep the love going and we'll keep bringing you some good content. Over and out. See you next time. Welcome to Upper 90, a podcast presented by Sand and Surf Soccer Club. Liam Messi on the dribble. He beats the halfback, beats the sideback. Stopper initiates the contact. Ooh, radial bone breaker.